Colossians chapter 4, this is an interesting text of Scripture uh, to preach. If you're an expositional preacher like I am, um, will you come to a final greetings portion and um, you, you, it's not the easiest text. Because here's expositional preaching. Expositional preaching is when the main points of the text become the main points of your sermon. And so the first thing you want to do is you want to understand the text and its historical significance and its historical context. And so you basically are asking the question, what did the original hearers hear when they heard this? Okay, so the, the Colossians, when they first had this letter read to them, when the letter was brought to them by Tychicus, and they, it was read to the Colossian church, what was the purpose or what was the point? And so you, we've been going through that throughout all this book, throughout all this study here that we started back in February. Then what you do is you say, what do I have in common with the original audience? And then you can make very specific application. That is why, that is how you make a very safe and appropriate application to the text of Scripture that you teach through. But when you come to a text like this, in chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So it's pretty straightforward what the original audience was hearing when that was given. So the, 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 the meaning is very straightforward here. He was simply telling them what was happening, and he was sending messengers back to them. And the letter that was being carried, this letter was being carried by the person called Tychicus, and a guy by the name of Onesimus was with him. That's really the context here what's going on. But what can we learn from this text? Well, that's where we need to take some principles, but we, what, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what can we see about Paul's heart in this text? What drives Paul? What was Paul passionate about? What was he concerned about when he was writing th- these things? Because as believers who believe in the inspiration of the Word of God, and we believe as confessions after confessions say in orthodoxy, they say we believe in the verbal, plenary, inspiration Word of God. Now what does that mean? Verbal, words, plenary, all of them. So we believe that not just some words of the Scripture are inspired, but we believe that all of the, the, uh, the, the words of the Scriptures are inspired by God. So it is there for a purpose. It wasn't like Paul was writing his letter and then he, he submitted it. He looked at the word count on the bottom of his Microsoft Word document and said, ah, man, I'm a little short on the word count. Need some more words here. So I'm going to start writing some things. That's not what happened here. There's a purpose here for this. What is that? Well, I believe part of it is that we can understand who Paul is and what drives him. One of the things I know about Paul was that he was a man who loved unity in the church, and I believe he gives us some things here that can help towards that. But before I go into that, let me just give you a little bit of background information very quickly here. We have a couple people listed in this text. In verse 7, a man by the name of Tychicus, and then in verse 9, a man by the name of Onesimus. Who are these people? Well, Tychicus, his name comes up several times in the New Testament. It's always associated with the Apostle Paul. 
If you're taking notes, you can write these references down. Acts 20, verse 4. Acts 20, verse 4. And 2 Timothy 4, 12. And Titus 3, 12. So that's Acts 20, verse 4. 2 Timothy 4, 12. And then Titus 3, 12. Those are the places where we see this man's name pop up. And he's always associated with Paul. He probably got associated with Paul in Ephesus. And that's the Acts 20 reference there. And Paul, in his third missionary journey, he had a span of time in Ephesus. And he was there for a long time. In fact, Ephesus was the longest place where Paul was at during his missions journeys. And so he spent time there. And then what he did, that there was Ephesian elders there that he was going to meet with. But what he did was there was a whole bunch of people in Acts 20 verse 4. I won't take time to go there. But he sent them on ahead. They were people who he was ministering with and he was giving instruction to and he was coaching and he was helping. And they were assisting him in the ministry. And so in Acts 20, he says, I want you to go on ahead to Troas. And so he sends them on to Troas while he's finishing the work there. And so we see him connected to, to Paul. Maybe he was a convert. Maybe he was someone who was already a believer. We don't know. But what we do know is that he was connected to Paul. We see later on in 2 Timothy that he was doing a work, a mission for Paul. He had given him an assignment that he was, he was uh, uh, helping or assisting Paul in. And then in Titus chapter 3, verse 12, we see there a text where it says that he was going to send Artemis and, or uh, Tychicus to take uh, Titus's place in Crete because Titus was ministering in the island of Crete and what Paul was saying is he says, okay, I'm going to send one of two guys to you and one of them was this guy named Tychicus. Very likely he was the person who not only carried this letter here of the Colossians to the Colossians, but he also carried the letter of Philemon to Philemon. And he also carried the letter to the Ephesians. And most likely, there was a letter to the Laodiceans that has not been preserved for us. But this letter to the Laodiceans, Tychicus also carried. So he was a man who was involved in ministry by simply really being an errand boy. He was a guy who did the stuff that Paul needed to be done. So here we have this context about who he is. Now, who is Onesimus in chapter uh, in verse nine? Who is Onesimus? Well, if you were to read the companion book or a companion book to Colossians, it would be Philemon. And in Philemon, we find out more about who this person Onesimus was. Very quickly, I won't take a lot of time to give this information, but I'll just tell you this: is that he was a runaway slave. In Philemon, he was the master. And Onesimus was a slave who, for whatever reason, ran away and somehow got connected with Paul. And Paul, when he was in Roman imprisonment, because remember, in the writing of Colossians, Paul was in Roman imprisonment. And sometime or somehow, Onesimus gets connected with Paul here. And he's a runaway slave. And he was someone who was persona non grata. He was someone who had, had a, a, probably a, a reward on his head to be returned back. And he gets connected with the Apostle Paul. And what Paul does is Paul tells him about Christ. And, and introduces him to the person of Christ, and all of a sudden, God, in his abundant mercy, reaches down and saves this runaway slave. And so this slave, this slave who, who was formerly useless now in, in Philemon, Paul says he's useful to Philemon. And so this whole letter about Philemon, very short book, one chapter, he is basically, the purpose of the book is he's writing to Philemon saying, receive him back, but no longer as a slave, but as a brother as a co-laborer. 
And so we see that what Onesimus is doing is he has joined the team of Tychicus of going to return these letters and to, to, to deliver these letters, rather, to the people. And most likely, uh, the next stop here would have been to Philemon. So here's what's going on historically. But what can we tell about Paul here? I mentioned before that Paul, if you study his writings, unity comes up a lot. There are 27 books in the New Testament. Paul is credited with authoring 13 of those books, possibly a 14th, depending on if you believe what he wrote Hebrews or not. I personally do not, but a lot of people do believe that he wrote the book of Hebrews. So if he did, he wrote 14 books. But for sure, we know he wrote 13 books. And if you study those books throughout all the New Testament, what you find is you find that he loved the church, and he loved people, and he loved unity here. So he reveals here what's important to him. Let me just suggest three things that are very important to Paul that we can see in his final greetings here. First of all, if you're taking notes, you can write down this. Number one, communication was important to Paul. Communication was important to Paul. I mentioned before, just a second ago, that he, is, he authored 13 of our 27 books of the New Testament. Now, he's not the writer that wrote the most of the New Testament. That actually goes to Luke. But he is second place. He has written the most books, but in terms of volume of the New Testament, Luke is, is first place and, and Paul is in second place. But Paul was a man who was committed to communication. In verse 7, it says, Tychicus will tell you of all about my activities. He was someone who wanted to make sure that the Colossians knew what was going on with Paul. He was committed to communication. He made it his goal to keep people informed. In verse 7, he says this. He says, For this purpose I have sent him, for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And so communication was very important to Paul. He wanted to make sure that people understood what was happening. And let me submit to you, my brothers and my sisters, in our church here, if we are going to have a unified church, if we're going to be a church that is characterized by unity, we need to be committed to communication. We need to be people who are willing to talk with one another and share with one another and make sure we know what is going on in each other's lives. This is a very practical application here. This is one of the reasons why I send out emails. And last night I sent out an email, and thankfully I got a response of someone who said, this was so encouraging of what is going on? What can you expect in the service tomorrow? And I don't know if I'll do that every Saturday. I hope to, but maybe I'll forget. And so if I forget to do that, you communicate to me and remind me, okay? <laughs> we need to be a church that is committed to communication. This is one of the reasons why I repeat things sometimes. And I do things over and over again because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build into the DNA of our church why we do what we do. There's a purpose for what we do. We don't just sit here, we don't, we don't just gather here just because that's what we're supposed to do on Sunday. No, there's a reason why there's a public reading of Scripture time. There's a reason why we read. There's a reason why we preach. There's a reason why we don't just show a video sometimes and that I not preach. It's not because I just really need that job security. It's because it's what God wants us to do. And so we need to be committed to understanding why we do what we do. And that takes communication. But let me give it a more practical application than that. One of the things, I've said this before, 
If, if, if I, I was sitting in my office one day, and I was thinking about my job, and I love my job. Absolutely love it. There is not another thing I would rather do than what I do. And there was a time where I had to get a job in the community. I was working in the, in the, in the healthcare field and senior living, senior healthcare, uh, and I was working in administration there. I was using, utilizing my administrative gifts there. And, and it was a good job. They, the, the company was a wonderful company to work with. My boss was a good boss. But I was borderline miserable there because I wasn't doing this. I wasn't pastoring, Okay. So I was sitting in my office one day, I'm thinking about my job, and I thought, you know, a large part of my job is just having really difficult conversations with people. As I was preparing for a conversation I was going to have with somebody that, that I, I, I didn't know how the conversation was going to go, and sometimes when you talk to someone about something that, that in order to help them, you don't know how they're going to respond to that. But what drives me to do what I do is not because someone's checking up on me. It's because I believe we need to be committed to communication with one another. And if there's something bothering us, we need to talk with one another. One thing that saddens me is that this is a, um, a skill that is really lost. A lot of times people, they want to talk about problems, but they want to talk about it with the wrong people. Now, it's not wrong. It is not wrong to talk with someone else and say, are you seeing this too? That's not gossip. It's gossip when the conversation stops there. If the other person says, yeah, I'm seeing that too, because sometimes you, you, you question your own sanity. I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't. I do. <laughs> you know, it's like, am I crazy here? Am, am I the only one that's seeing this? And so you ask someone else and they say, well, yeah, I'm kind of seeing that too. Or, no, I'm not seeing that, so, you know, shape up. Or whatever the case may be. But we need to be committed to going to people and saying, you know, I've, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, but I think that you might have a blind spot here. Or if there's something that someone has done that's been offensive to you, be committed to communication like Paul was. You know, it's interesting in the book of Philippians, we won't take time to go there, but Philippians, we see here that he was a man who was committed to communication as well because towards the end of the book, he calls out two ladies. And he says, I, you know, Yodia and Syntyche, you know, get along, what he says. And he tells them, so you can imagine, you're, you're sitting in the service, you're sitting to read, and then the guy, whoever it is, the pastor's up there reading the letter from Paul, is like, oh, new letter from Paul, okay, great. And so you're reading this and everything, and all of a sudden, you hear your name. And another name says, hey, get along, okay? Now, a lot of times we look at that and we say, wow, man, Paul, he was bold to do that, and we need to call people out. Well, okay, I guess, but here's something that people don't think about. Paul was in prison. How did he know? that Yodia and Sittiki were not getting along. Somebody had to tell them, right? I mean, isn't that logical? Somebody had to tell them? And so someone told them that, and so what did he do? He then acted on it. So there had to be communication there. Look, there's going to be things that are frustrating you, or there's going to be people that offend you. Maybe I'll offend you, and, and I'm sorry. We need to, if we're going to be a church that has unity, we're going to be a church that communicates with one another. And loves one another. And now let me just suggest that when we have those, go with questions, not accusations. Don't say, you know, when you do this, this is your heart. The reason why you do this is because you don't know that. 
I don't know your heart, you don't know my heart. But go with questions. If it really is bothering you, then say, here's how it appears to me. Can you help me understand that? Paul was committed to communication. Communication was very important to him. Let's be a congregation that is concerned with communicating with one another. Also, encouragement was, was important to Paul. That would be number two. Encouragement was important to Paul here. He says, I've sent you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. It was interesting that one of the reasons why he even wrote this letter was to encourage people. He wanted, in verse tw- uh, uh Verse 2 of chapter 2, he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. This is one of the reasons why he wanted to write these people was to encourage them. And let me submit that if we're going to be a church that is unified and loves Christ and loves one another, we need to be a church that is willing to be an encouragement to one another. Seek ways to encourage each other. Now, some, for some of you, that comes, that's like breathing to you. Some of you, that, that's, that's very natural. It's very natural to you encourage someone. That's a gift that God has given you. For others, we have to work on that. We have to think about that. We have to think about, hey, maybe we should encourage them. Every person, regardless, regardless of how, how thick our skin is, we all need to be affirmed at some point. We all need encouragement. And so when we come together here, let us have the same motive or the same goal of Paul here. It says, for this purpose, let us seek to encourage one another. You know, not everyone shares what is on their heart. And not everyone should. But in this room, there is a lot of burdens represented. I don't know every one of you uh, and every one of your burdens, but I know of some. And there are burdens. People come here every Sunday and you may not even notice them. Maybe they come in very quietly. They sit down where they normally sit. They sing the songs. And then they leave. And yeah, they should be encouraged from the Word. And yes, they should be encouraged from the songs. But they should also be encouraged by you and by me. So let us be a people who encourage one another. That doesn't mean being blind towards people's faults. That doesn't mean, you know, if, if I preach a message and it's just awful, okay, you know, and some of you are like, you're on the track. But um, if, if, if I preach this message and this is awful, I don't expect you to come up and be like, that's the best sermon ever, you know. That, that, that's just lying, okay. But we are to encourage one another. If you see someone serving in nursery, even if you don't have children in there, Say thank you. Walk by and say, thanks for your service today. That means a lot to me because it's helping the larger picture. You see, a lot of times we only want to focus on what affects us. But we need to be a church that is encouraging one another. It was a stated goal and purpose of Paul to be an encouragement to other believers. Could you say that that is your goal and purpose to be an encouragement? Lastly, in our text, this morning we'll look at is that teamwork was important to Paul. Teamwork was important to Paul. We see this by his mentioning these two individuals. And then later on in next week we're going to look at um, either, is it going to be either one sermon or two sermons? I haven't, I haven't determined that yet, but there's several other names that are listed here from verses uh, 10 through 17. The early church relied much on a network of friends. All Christians need a community of friends and fellow workers. And so is, we need 
teammates here. That's one of the things I love about uh, having two people join today is I view them as our team just got bigger. In fact, you know, I am... Uh, one of the first phone calls that Mike and I had, Mike, the guy who was here last week that we're praying about him coming, one of the first phone calls he and I had, he asked me, he says, are you looking for a protege? And I said, no, I'm looking for a teammate. That's what I'm looking for. Because I believe this is Paul's model. It's Paul's model for us to be teammates here. Now, I don't view, just so you know, I don't view it as pastoral staff, as a team. I view as Memorial Baptist Church as a team, okay? So we're all on this team together. And this team, is, it's got its strengths, it's got its weaknesses, but we're a team. And we're going to help each other out, and we're going to work together, as Philippians 1 says, striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. That is what a church should be. One of the illustrations that I use, or analogies, I suppose, for a pastor that I often use is that we are a lot like a player coach. Now, up here right now, I'm coaching. I'm kind of saying, here's what we're going to do, team. Now, tomorrow, or as soon as the sermon is done, what do I do? I walk down, and what do I do? I'm part of the team. I need the sermons just as much as you do. It's not a situation of, uh, of, uh, of a hierarchy where we have you know, um, the, uh, the clergy up here and the laity down here, and there's a great gulf in between here. No, we're all, on this, we're all in this together. We're all, we are all on this team called Memorial Baptist Church right now. And more specifically, and even better, we're all part of this team called the Body of Christ, okay? And so that's why we pray for other churches and everything, because they're on the team too. And so Paul was very passionate about this idea of getting people together. He was inspired by loyalty, and he was inspired by love in working together. Any picture of Paul being a, a, a lone ranger or just this bitter person by himself that just kind of forged ahead on his own is erroneous, You look into all of his missionary journeys, he was always recruiting people to join him in his teamwork. And so we have two teammates that he talks about here. And this is beautiful. First of all, Tychicus here, I've already mentioned him, he had two duties. His first duty was to deliver Paul's letters that we already talked about. The second duty was simply to tell the churches in Asia about Paul's situation. In later references that I already gave you in Titus and 2 Timothy, we see him doing the same thing as he was humbly serving alongside of Paul and doing whatever needed to be done. It's interesting as you think about what he did, his job simply was to carry a letter. That was his job. And then to tell people, hey, here's what's going on. There's not a lot of prestige in that. It wasn't like that carrying a letter was an easy job anyway because it took a lot of work and effort on his behalf and it took uh, some measure of risk as he was traveling those roads. But there's greatness in the small things done for Christ. What use would this letter be if it never got delivered? Would this letter have any significance to us if Tychicus on the road said, you know what, this, this, this is awful. I'm tired. Man, I got, these, I got these blisters on my feet, you know. These Nike sandals are not cut up what they were used to be. You know, they must be, you know, outsourcing the product on this. And so, you know, I, you know forget this. Chucks the letter and then goes on vacation. What, what good would the letter be? You know, what he did was something that we are benefiting from. This man by Tychicus, by the name of Tychicus. There's greatness in the smallest things done. 
And sometimes we only want to serve in ways that are glamorous or the ways that we feel that we need to serve in. Or my giftedness is in. And let me tell you, we need to be simply willing to do whatever God asks us to do. Whether or not we feel as part of our, our strengths or whatever it is, we need to be willing to be part of the team, regardless of how big or how small the job. What was the name of Charles Lindbergh's mechanic? Anyone know his name? Now, if he didn't do his job, that plane wouldn't have flown and set that record. Who was Aaron Rodgers' coach in college? Now, maybe some of you do know that. I don't. What was the name of the who's the name of the equipment manager for the Badgers or the Packers? They don't have equipment. If they don't have the right jerseys, can they even play the game? These guys are all doing their job for for uh, for the whole sake of the team. They may not get the recognition. They may not get, you know, there's no trading cards about the equipment manager. There's no 10-year-old boy going, got the equipment manager, yes! <laughs> you know, there's, there's, they're not in the highlight reel, you know, on ESPN. They're not saying, man, did you see the way he filled those water bottles? Man, that, he, went to, he went to school on a scholarship for that. That was impressive, you know. I love the way he did that. That was amazing, you know. Went with fruit punch this day. Interesting choice. But so yeah, that's not what happens, Right? But they do their job, and it helps the team. And they wouldn't be, the team wouldn't perform the way they perform if it wasn't for these individuals. Even the smallest things work. It was interesting, I think it was last Sunday, it was uh, the Packers versus the Bears, and I was completely Switzerland, okay, on that day, because I have a lot of Packer friends and I have a lot of Bears fans, uh, a lot of Bear fans friends. But it was interesting what happened. Backup quarterbacks, right? It was a battle of the backup quarterbacks. And um, I, one of my Packer friends said, I didn't even know the name of our backup quarterback <laughs> before this. He did a pretty good job, and the Bears' backup quarterback did a good job. What's my point? My point is that they're part of the team. Momentary things that are done for Christ are eternal. This letter didn't take a long time. You know, once he delivered the message and once he, he delivered the update, he went on with his life and went to the next stop. But that had long-lasting effects and eternal effects. This letter here that you hold open in front of you outlasted the Roman Empire. And this letter here that Tychicus had a part of is eternal. It says here, I want to point this out and then I'll be done. In verse 9, it says, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Because first of all, we saw Tychicus, he's a fellow servant, and he was someone who, who had been with Paul before, and he, had, he, he knew the ropes, and he was someone who was a faithful, loyal servant of Paul's, and was on the team. And then there's this guy named Onesimus, I told you that Philemon tells he's a runaway slave. It says, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Did you catch the pronoun there? It's plural. Onesimus was part of the team. Paul made him part of the team. Even though he was a runaway slave, even though he was on his way back to reconcile, Paul said, I don't care what your past is. You are in Christ now, so you are part of the team. So serve. It doesn't matter what baggage you're carrying. We can work through that, and we're working through the reconciliation, but you be part of the team. You tell what everything has taken place here. He was uplifting Onesimus to the position of equal of Tychicus. He was saying that both of them together are both serving on this team. 
So Paul always tried to elevate his team, even if it meant that his spot in the spotlight was diminished. And so we need teammates here at Memorial. We need people who are going to throw themselves into the ministry, whatever is needed, not just what sounds good, but whatever is needed to be done. And we need people who are willing to do what it takes to get the job done. So communication, encouragement, teamwork, these were all things that Paul, that it was, it was very important to Paul because if those things are in place, there's a church that has real unity. Now I see a lot of this already here. I'm not preaching this because I think that we don't have this here. I'm preaching this because it's the next text. But we do need this reminder. We do need more people here to get on part and be part of the team. We do need people who are committed to communication and who encourage one another. Some of you are already doing this and bless you for it and you're an encouragement. Others of you, you need to change. So, This is where we're at this week. Let's be a church that's committed to communication, encouragement, and teamwork for one purpose, the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory for and ever, ever. Amen. Let us pray.